Microfield. Hey, Eric. How you do today? I'm good. How are you? I feel great. Let's get into it. I thought today maybe we would talk a little bit about origin stories. And yes, in the entertainment world, an origin story is as uh, an account or a background revealing how a character or group of people become a protagonist or antagonist and adds to the overall interest and complexity of a narrative, often giving reasons for their intentions. At least that's what Wikipedia says. And there's also the dictionary definition of an origin story. And it's really just kind of rooted in what is the established background or narrative that informs the identity and motivations. And so as we invite that conversation in, I thought it's only fair for you and me to share our origin stories too. Okay. Well, since you are going first, proceed with the questions. (laughs) Okay. So let's start. When and how did you first realize that it was more than a couple bad days? You know, this question is so interesting because uh, every so often I, I, I go there, right? And whenever we think it's, it was the start, it may not have been the start because you get to learn a lot more about the condition. And there have been moments where you've denied yourself the, the importance of feeling because you were on survival mode. It might have started when I was in college. It meaning anxiety, depression, not being as actively engaged or functional, not being myself, essentially. Those kind of emotions I started feeling towards the end of college, but I had to work full-time and going to school full-time. And because I was on survival mode, I'd never had a chance to really face it. And generally, what happens is that it gets worse, the amalgamation of all these uh, emotions. It gets much worse. And you get to a point where your friends may start to notice it. But because they've only seen the survival side of you where you were very functional, even they tend to see anything to protect your ego. So... I can trace it back to the end of college and it got progressively worse for the next eight, 10 years for me to go, maybe, just maybe something might be up. So it was eight years before you sought help or you did seek help when you were in college? I sought help when it got worse, which is a very common trait amongst people who aren't willing to face up with the fact that something may be up. In particular, in... um, Communities of color, they only will go see a doctor when they've reached a certain level of gravity. There's a strong sense of denial, and that's what I went through myself. So upon my mom dying uh, in 04, that's when I was able to realize that my depression wasn't just her passing, but also my having gone through my own type of depression, which got re-triggered by her death. And it wasn't until then that I went to see my first counselor. And this was in uh, 06, I believe, 2006. And that was much later in your adult years. Correct. So that was about 10 years later, if not more. So was there an aha moment, something that made you say, okay, now I need to get professional help? The aha moment was, and this may make you laugh, um, when I'm very depressed, I go by kicks <laughs> and sugar and ice cream. Like if you come to my place and you see my fridge is full of cakes, just ask me if I'm okay. Because 
<laughs> but there was a day I remember vividly. There was a donut shop. And that's when I realized that sugar, for some reason, was attached to my depression. And I went and I got more donuts than I really would have even wanted. I'm not even a sugar kind of person in the first place. And I laid on the couch for about 10 hours straight. Hmm. Um, I had a job that was quite demanding. And I recall going to work and... I wasn't able to function because I felt like there was some weight that it was pulling me in. And the only way for me to go to get through that was by sleeping a couple of hours. And I had no clue as to what was going on. So this happened quite often where I'd be so depressed, I could lay in bed literally for a week, at times not showering, at times not, not brushing my teeth. And evidently, not being willing to to socialize. And if I had to, I'd be forced to. So all these moments make me, make me go, okay, Eric, something might be up here. You may want to go see your doctor. I should have gone a lot earlier, but I did not. And I wish I had. And what was rock bottom for you? Uh, rock bottom for me was, I mean, I'm an immigrant, right, as you know. And so very much of an overachiever. And when I think that I had gotten close to it, I ended up spiraling down and losing it all. That's what I'm going to say. When you spiral down in life, I think it's hard to notice. Only friends or people around you are able to see it. And even if you notice it, there's a strong sense of denial because you're a fighter and a survivor. And you go to yourself, well, I got this. I know how to make it back up. And you do know how, because at least for me, you know, you're a fighter and you and you figure your way out. And so situations that should sound and, and, and look alarming to you end up just sounding or being, oh, this is a, it's not as bad. So yeah, it was a very cathartic moment. It's, it's one that will forever be imprinted in my life. It enabled me to traverse some worlds that most of us do not want to even be exposed to. And we've been also built in making sure that there would be rigid walls and sturdy lanes protecting us from deviating from what we think of healthy, livable conditions. But mental health conditions are such that they could make you cross that and all the lanes that are next to those lanes and so forth. So I had to go seek help, and I did, and I'm grateful that I did. Some of us don't have the benefit of doing so. Some of us are so far gone that we don't even see this as an option. What are two or three things that you learned, either about yourself or your condition, since getting treatment? Persistence, I think, is one good trait that I have. Empathy was a trait that I had, but that became a lot more pronounced. And a sense of presence where I am able to see and hear and touch and feel better than I have in the past. People that have gone through, go through what I've gone through, I'm able to see them and it triggers my empathy. And I'm so grateful 
and this may sound so counterintuitive that I've gone through this. So, so, so grateful. You can pay a price to go through this. First of all, people don't want to go through this in the first place, right? <laughs> Just number one. But number two, it's not something that you can afford paying so you, you can go through it. The gifts to me are on the back end. I had a good conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend. And I said, the notion of pain is so misunderstood in this world. I said, pain always comes to you bearing gifts, always. And think of it as you having a house. It comes knocking at your door and you see it and you run away. What you don't see is that pain carries behind its back some gifts. And were you to want to go through it appropriately well, you'd see the gifts on the back end. And right now, I think I am uh, benefiting from them. So I feel blessed and grateful for it. It sounds like the price of admission is high, but the benefits are limitless. What would you tell yourself or what advice would you give to the younger you at the time of, of your first episode? It's going to be okay. It, it's going to get better. Reach out. Break. This is important. Be willing to break. Fall. Deconstruct. Stop hanging on to things that, that don't belong to you. Just keep on falling. Mm. Hit mm. it. Hit that bottom. And mm. there's so much beauty there. And then find a way to reconstruct yourself back up. Just show up. All right, so I'm now, I'm now about to get off the couch. Clotilde, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> please. I will I take the couch. So, same as you. When and how did you first realize that it was more than a, a bad couple of days? I was 17, and I had just uh, puked up my third meal of the day and mm. uh, had come to realize in that moment that that was not normal, but for whatever reason, at that point, after that many years, that had become normal for me. And I had convinced myself for years that, of course, you go throw up right after you eat. Isn't that what everybody does? And I realized I did not want that to be my normal. And I could make a choice to stay on that course, or I could reach out for help and figure out how to course correct. And so I called my uncle who is very near and dear to me. And I said, this is what's going on. And I don't know what to do about it. And he's very pragmatic, very practical. He was an ER doctor. And so he listened to me and he said, okay, we can do three things. First, you can just stop. Second, I can find you some help. I'll find a psychiatrist who works with people who've done these types of things before. Third, we're going to send you to a place where you're going to have to stay for a while. I said, I've tried option one. I'm not doing option three. So (laughs) let's go behind door number two, please. (laughs) Had you told your parents or just him? I had not told my dad. I had tried many years before to tell my mom and, you know, she just couldn't hear that. It was not in her capacity to hear that. I don't say that out of any mean-spiritedness or anything. I I know, you know, my mom did what she could, but it was just like, no, that's not happening. And so in my mind, it was just like in my, you know, 14-year-old brain, that was permission to keep going. You know, and that's what 14-year-olds do (laughs) until I was 17. And then I was like, no, this isn't really the path I want to keep going down. That was cut early. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, it started years earlier, but I was 17 when I was like, I can do better. And the aha moment, did you have one to recall when it was? Did you have a couple of them that combined into a bigger aha moment? I've had so many aha moments. <laughs> I have them all the time. Um, but I think that was probably the first one when I was 17 and wiped the puke off my mouth. I looked up in the mirror and said, this isn't normal. Would you say that there might have been any ego that kept you from seeking help? And I say this because for many of us, we don't think that medication, that little itty bitty pill can help us feel better. And having to be very vulnerable enough to say, I need help. Tell me about the moment that you realized that getting help was the only option. Well, that was the moment. I mean, for me, it was that or that or die, really, because I, I could see that that was ultimately what would happen. I mean, you know, one of the benefits of having an incredibly practical uncle who also was an ER doc was that, you know, he said, well, here's what's going to happen if you continue. And he explained the physicality of what I was doing and what would the inevitability of the damage that I was doing to my organs and my heart and my you know, so many different parts of my body. And so the inevitable outcome of continuing would have been risking death or serious damage to my body. And, you know, he asked me if that was what I was really wanting. So, yeah, I mean, that was the, a moment of clarity. And, and I realized, no, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Share with us, please, a few things that you've learned about yourself since then. Even though if you have depression, they tell you you're likely to have subsequent episodes. And not everybody does. Some people will have one depressive episode in their life and then never again. But if you do have another one, then it's likely that you'll have others. But each one, believe it or not, gets easier because you know what it is. And there's a familiarity and not a familiarity like a comfort, but it's like, oh, that's what this is. I have tools now to navigate this, and I know it's just going to last for a fixed amount of time. I don't know what that amount of time is going to be, uh, but I can get through it. I can use therapy. I can use meditation. I can use mindfulness. I, I can lean on my friends. I have the good fortune of having a, a lovely family. I mean, nobody can be in the moment with you and feel what you feel, but there are people who will walk with you and hold your hand through those dark moments. And I have learned how to ask for help. I have learned how to allow help in. I've learned that there's so many different tools, more than I can count, um, to, to navigate all these things. What advice would you give to your younger self at the time of your first episode? Hold on, it's going to be a bumpy ride, <laughs> but it is going to be so worth it. And you won't even believe how bright it is on the other side. If the choice was yours, would you not want to have gone through this? Would you want to have a healthier mental health state in lieu of what you've gone through? That's so hard to answer because... It begs the question, well, what else would have happened? There's an endless possibility of answers to that question. So 
I don't know how to give you an honest answer. I'm so grateful for the superpowers that I have uh, as a result of my own experience. I don't like that I have to use a pseudonym just to be on this podcast because it means that I am still cloaking, hiding, but not for any reasons of shame. I, I have no shame about it. But the fact is, you know, I still work in a world where to be employed, people aren't keen to hire people who have uh, had mental health challenges. There's still that stigma. And so until we're in a world where people don't think of that any differently than the color of someone's hair, then I have to use a pseudonym just to be here with you today. What advice would you have given yourself, not at 17, but also at 25, at 35? Because the advice changes, right? Of course. Oh, for sure. That's a good reframe because it is different what I would say to myself at 17 and 25, 35, and even 40. Because it's different each time things come up. But what I would tell myself in those different times is just because this feels different than the last time doesn't mean you're not going to come back stronger. Don't rely on this illusion of control that things have to go a certain way. We all have to take an active role in reaching for what healing looks like every day, whether it's in the midst of a depressive episode, whether it's going through PTSD, which was something I had much later in life, which I could not have ever fathomed having, but did. And th that one threw me for a loop. But if you can allow yourself to get the help that you need, whatever that looks like, and then hold on, you will get to the other side. What can we learn from this? Because it's so hard to get to a stage of proper healing with that coming out. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's owning your story. I mean, that isn't that the point of an origin story? Yeah. It drives us to this moment. It drives us to the truth. It drives us to being present with ourselves and with others. And I would even add, it turns you into a vessel for the person who's behind you that needs you to be able to be open about this if they are newer at this. So like, for instance, the communication between the older you and the current you could go along the lines of, please come out so I can heal faster. Mm. Stop running away from this. Yeah. If you, if you want us to get better, you know what you must do about this. And it's a hard talk to have within yourself. It's something that, you know, came up in therapy much later in life, but really taking care of the child who was traumatized or the girl who was traumatized or the woman who was traumatized at different points and really bearing witness to her, with her, for her to embrace, process, and be at peace with the woman I am now. Yeah. So I'm glad we had this conversation. So thank you for sharing again. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm so glad we got to talk about these things that bring us into the moment. And sometimes you have to know where you've been to know where you can go. Um, and looking forward, I um, want to just 
take a couple minutes to look at, you know, what we're going to be talking about in some of the coming episodes. So maybe it's origin stories of some other folks who have been in the kitchen, as we like to say. Also, um, looking at different healing modalities, I think that'll be really fun to talk about because there's so many different kinds of ways to help out there. I think that'd be very interesting given the current quote-unquote battle between the traditional way of healing and the people call it avant-garde, which it really is the traditional one, right? Because it came from the earth and the ocean. But it'd be very interesting to to see that combining those two, I think, is the answer. Uh, and it'd be good for us to investigate uh, the newbies and the oldbies, right? There's also uh, just the whole topic of self-care, which is so much more than a hashtag these days. Um, it really is, I think, become mainstream and there are so many different types of self-care out there. So lots of things for us to discuss on the road ahead. Wonderful. Looking forward to all that. Yeah, yeah it's exciting. We're cooking up some good stuff in the kitchen.